Welcome to Berkey Guide Podcast number four. After some fits and starts, we have a very special guest today, the one and only Caitlin Gregg. She needs a little introduction for any Berkey fan. And if you don't know who she is, well, we have a whole podcast to find out. She grew up in New York City and then in Vermont, skied for Feldheim at Northern Michigan University in the 2010 Olympics, and she's also won the Berkey four times. That makes her the most decorated Berkey champion ever. She's married a 2014 Olympian Brian Gregg, so they're the ski power couple of the Twin Cities. In her spare time, she works with at-risk youth in Minneapolis and still find time to train and compete at an elite level. We'll talk about a lot of that in the upcoming podcast, so here we go. Welcome to the Berkey Guide podcast. Uh, It is May. It is not ski season anymore, but it's high time that we have a very special guest on. Uh, we have been, we have been, I have been trying to get her on, and it's not that she hates me, but she's all over the place, as in skiing in lots of places, and we tried to do one from a road in Wisconsin with no self-reception, and that didn't work, um, but now that it's not ski season anymore, she is in a house with a roof over her head, and I am too, and we have Caitlin Gregg, four-time Berkey champion, welcome to the Berkey Guy podcast. (laughs) Thanks so much, Ari, it's awesome to finally connect. Uh, great, so, um... For those of you who didn't listen to the intro, intro and otherwise don't know, Caitlin won the Berkey this year, and I'm not even going to remember the years, um, but this is the fourth time that she's won it, and uh, what were the other years, 2011, and I don't know, maybe, I, do you remember? Yeah, I actually get them a little confused, too. It was 2011, 2000, I want to say 12, and 2014. That's what that I believe. Sounds right. I, we, this, yeah. this makes great yeah. radio that we could probably look this up ahead of time, but it's more yeah. fun to try to remember. Um, so this year, like what were the circumstances? You haven't skied. You've sort of seemed to win the Berkey whenever you come to ski it, but what were the circumstances <laughs> that led up to you being in the Midwest and not in, you know, being in the Midwest this year and skiing the Berkey? Um, you know, I think this is my first year that I was on the U.S. ski team and I had an opportunity to race the World Cup circuit, and I was super excited about that. It's something I've been trying to do for a number of years. And um, and so I took that opportunity and, and raced throughout Europe um, in the first period and then raced the Tour to Ski and then kind of found myself thinking about, you know, what the rest of my season would look like. And I decided that it seemed to be that the Berkey could be a pretty good fit for what I wanted to do. I knew I needed to kind of take a little break from the World Cup and and do some training and um, kind of the idea popped in my head that, you know, this is a, this is a great race. It's really an important race for our, um, our sponsors. We have a lot of sponsors who feel that, you know, the Berkey is just such a, such a great event that the entire ski community can be a part of. And so I felt like it was a good, um, kind of a good little U.S. domestic race that I could kind of accomplish a lot of things. One, the fourth win, um, to, uh, you know, being there with my ski community and for my sponsors. And then three, kind of getting in some, uh, you know, volume training and, and, and another event right before the, uh, right before the ski tour Canada, which I was competing in. Yeah. And I guess it makes sense to, yeah, that you were in the U S right before Canada and everyone was coming over after that. So it probably worked out well for that as well. Exactly. And I just looked it up. It was 11, 13, 14, and 16. So that may have been okay. what you said. But, uh, yeah, I can't yeah, remember they, now. <laughs> they, they have a handy website for, for finding that out. So, 
you were back for a few weeks, and I, I know that we were trying to catch up, and you were in out, out west. And are you did you ski the Boulder Mountain Tour? I did. Sorry. I did ski the Boulder Mountain Tour. Yep. yep. I was doing an altitude block, and um, that's another race that I actually tried to race last season before the World Championships, and uh, it was kind of a freak event. It was canceled, and so I really wanted to get back out there and uh, and get to experience the race. So this was another year that that fit in. Nice. And did you win that race? Yes, I did win. Nice. Good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so that so you come to the Berkey, which was not it was sort of a different different style of Berkey this year in that it didn't start at like twenty below zero. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. did how did you handle that? With- um, I mean, I was I was pretty excited about that. You know, um Brian and I are Berkey ambassadors, so we had done the Berkey tour and it was minus twenty five degrees that day, Fahrenheit. And uh and so, you know, it's kind of what I've come to expect with the Berkey because so many of them have started, like you said, at, you know, 10 degrees below zero and so forth. Um, and so it was a kind of a shock to, to the system and, you know, to kind of my, what I would say, my usual ski selections. I, I kind of tend to know which skis are, are going to be what I would call my Berkey skis because they are usually a fine, fine linear grind and uh, work well in that kind of dry Midwest snow. And so it definitely, you know, kind of threw, threw another curveball into the mix. But, um, I will say, I'm not going to complain. My, my fingers and toes were good. My face didn't get frostbitten. And, uh, yeah, every now and then a warm Berkey is uh, pretty, pretty enjoyable, I will say. <laughs> yeah, I guess your, your first one was 2011, and that was the, uh, that was the 10 below start that was yes. not particularly <laughs> pleasant. Um, yes. <laughs> actually, that was the year I broke a pole and wound up getting passed by the lead women's group 7K in, and I hung on to you guys for two kilometers, and then I <laughs> ate it at the bottom of the hill, and it's like, bye, guys. Oh, have fun. No. <laughs> yep, well, but I didn't yep. want to, you know, the, the thing was is that there's a whole pack together, and, and I didn't want to get in your way, so I was trying to hang on to the back of it, which is never a good way to do anything. Oh, that's, that's, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> and you guys are faster than me, so. Um, so, all right, so we, we, you came in, and you got ready for the Berkey and take from there. Yeah. So, I mean, there's one thing I've learned. Uh, I think my, my college coach, Stan Feldheim had said since my first year of school that, you know, I would be an awesome marathon skier. He kind of knew, he saw, you know, the writing was on the wall and he said, this is kind of your, this is your event, you know, actually specifically talking about the Berkey. And, uh, and I kind of, you know, I always thought about that, but again, the world cup is a lot shorter. And I will say that while I was on the world cup this year, I mean, I raced more sprints and five Ks, I think than I had since I was in high school. And, uh, I kind of had that, that urge and that longing for, for a long, a long race. I can't, you know, I love those, I love those marathon events. So I, uh, yeah, I was pretty excited to get ready for that. And I think I have my preparation, my, peaking plan and my training before really pretty much nailed at this point. So, uh, so it's something I kind of looked forward to cause it was familiar. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, you get Berkey fever and you can't help it. So once you just kind of let it happen, it, uh, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun journey to get ready for, for sure. All right. So take us to the start line Hayward in like shorts and a t-shirt, whatever we're wearing this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, this year, yeah, this year, um, getting to the start line, um, you know, when it's warmer, there's different considerations when it's colder. You kind of worry about water bottles freezing or fingers and toes freezing. Um, and uh, so for this year, you know, my biggest my biggest concern was actually staying pretty well hydrated because even a little bit of increase in temperature, we end up sweating a lot more. And so you find that, you know, you do need more liquids. And so making sure that my feeds were all dialed in, my support crew had those for me, um, kind of one of my biggest fears uh, isn't. I mean, you never know if you're going to bonk or not, but just making sure that 
my equipment was going to stay, uh, was going to stay in good shape, meaning, you know, my skis were going to stay fast throughout the race and, uh, I wasn't going to break any poles. So that's always kind of a, a first and foremost, uh, consideration for me. I get my usual warm up in, um, it's not that much. I just ski out to the power lines and back and I uh, actually skied a little bit with Keegan Randall. So that was kind of fun to experience, you know, her first, she wasn't racing obviously cause she was very pregnant, but, uh, kind of experienced her first warm up for the Berkey and, uh, I think at this point, I know most of the people kind of in that warming up area. So that's always a fun, fun hello and good morning time. And uh, I did a really, uh, I did a really solid job working with Eric Mundell um, to pick my skis. And um, I felt tons of confidence in them. And so, you know, getting to the start line, I'm usually more worried about being late or forgetting my, you know, forgetting my ankle transponders or, you know, our bibs or whatever, whatever is needed for the race there. And, uh, making sure I don't, you know, don't, I don't forget something important. So I, uh, yeah, I had everything dialed in and, you know, you always get a little nervous on the start line because you never know who else is, is ready to go. All right. Uh, and through the race, start out and, uh, what was the race like for you? What was the, what was it up at the top of the, the, the lead, lead of the pack there? Yeah, I'm always, I'm always impressed with how fast the women, um, start the Berkey. There's definitely a group of women who, really take it out hard and um, kind of settle down a little bit towards the power lines, but really keep pushing pretty much through the 5K mark. And um, that was no different this year. We went out at a pretty good pace, and I tend to not be the quickest off the line, and I find myself kind of in the top 10, I would say. And most of it is just trying to not, um, again, not have any equipment break in that process, um, you know, watching my poles, um, you know, watching my skis, I did get tripped up at about 3K. Someone just in in the pack just stepped on my polar ski, and I, I went down, and you sort of you lose a, a pretty significant amount of time even just getting tripped up and falling, and I kind of had to do a little pickup to get back on that first group that I'd broken away. It was about 15 women. And, um, you know, and then kind of just tried to kind of keep in my own, my own space so that I didn't uh, – I didn't end up getting uh, getting tangled up anymore, and and again, I was lucky I didn't break a pole. There was rumor that I'd broken a pole for a long time there that I hadn't heard until the finish line, but um, yeah, didn't break a pole, and so I was really grateful about that. And uh, and then as we progressed through the race, I, um, you know, I kind of after that fall, I was kind of in the back of the pack for a little bit, back of that lead pack, I should say, so sitting around tenth or fifteenth, and uh, it kind of took me a little time to kind of move back up towards the front and. Um, and then what I notice in every Berkey is it usually becomes a race of a number of European women and then maybe one or two American women. The European women really do a lot of work at the front, which is awesome. Um, and so by about 20K, it's about three or four, maybe five of us who are, who are taking the lead and, and switching off, um, you know, kind of helping moving the pack along. And um, one thing I kind of try to try to do is not play too many games because um I don't want there to be too big of a pack for the whole race because then you just increase the opportunity for falls or poles breaking and whatnot so I kind of anytime I take the lead I try to definitely push the pace um and sometimes it's a little it's a little ruthless uh, I, I kind of am comfortable at that Berkey pace and I can put in some pretty big uh surges and I feel like you were saying before for whoever's on the back of that pack and getting that surge at the, <laughs> at the wrong time over the top of a hill is kind of getting slingshotted around. And so that kind of breaks down the pack to a smaller, smaller, more manageable group. 
Um, and so then, uh, you know, we, we stayed pretty strong in that big group all the way through double O. I didn't go for the preem at double O. Um, and, uh, there was definitely a number of really strong surges throughout the race from, um, a number of women. And you kind of always sit back and go, wow, that that's looking pretty good. But, uh, I was able to stay with them and, uh, yeah, I really, I didn't, I, I, I shouldn't say I didn't have a game plan. I always have a game plan and it was pretty dialed. Um, but, uh, I, I guess you never know how it's going to unfold until you get to that point where you're ready to go. All right. So you went through double O and at some point, uh, it became a two woman race. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, it's actually quite a bit after double O we stayed in a pretty big pack. Um, you know, my hope is to always get it down to about six women and it was about 12 women all the way to mosquito brook and uh and I kind of had to make a decision you know it's a it's pretty obvious you know everyone kind of dreads the the infamous bitch hill and you know and it's kind of a good spot to make a move if people are starting to get fatigued um but one thing that I do is I pay quite a bit of attention to how the other women around me are feeding whether they're taking their drinks whether they're taking goos um you know how consistently how much are they you know looking strong are they looking tired um all of those sort of things kind of are what I'm observing during the race, um, and kind of, you know, managing my own energy levels. Um, and I kind of got to Mosquito Brook and realized that the girls were skiing really strong around me and that Bitch Hill wouldn't be enough. It needed to be a bigger, it needed to be a bigger push and a bigger surge to really kind of break the group apart. So right after the brook, right after the feed zone, I, um, I went for it and I started hammering and there's a pretty good climb that kind of, that starts before Bitch Hill and then kind of ends at the top of Bitch Hill. And so I went for it and um, I looked back and only one woman was able to sort of bridge between me and the rest of the pack. And that was um, the French woman, Debuti. And she, uh, you know, she put in a super strong surge and actually caught me. And I was pretty impressed. I, you know, I thought at that point, wow, she's, she's really going for it. And as soon as she caught me, she did something I wasn't expecting. And she didn't sit on me and she didn't kind of, you know, wait for me to slow down. I kept hammering and she actually went around me and skied in front of me. And I thought, well, that's really weird. I'm not sure why she would want to kind of give me a draft at this point. We're going pretty hard. And then what happened about, oh, I don't know, 50 meters later is she slowed way down. And I turned around and sure enough, her other French teammate was also trying to bridge up. And she was trying to bridge up to the two of us. And at that moment I knew kind of what was happening and they were trying to make it a kind of a two on one <laughs> deal. And so that was when I again took the lead and, uh, and kept hammering and, uh, was able to hang with me, but we dropped her teammate. And at that point I felt like it was a pretty important, um, a pretty important opportunity to be able to ski with another skier out in front because a few years ago I had made a surge when the men caught us and, uh, got onto the back of the men and I only could hang on for about 10 K before I started feeling just like I was going harder than I've ever gone before. And then found myself kind of in no man's land with no one to ski with, you know, no idea what was happening behind me. Um, and feeling like, Ooh, that's kind of a risky place to be. If you have a, a pack of people kind of moving up, um, working together, trying to, trying to catch you. So I felt like having two of us was, was a key component, um, for the remainder, uh, of the course. So about 10 K worth to go. Um, and that sort of worked, I would say. 
All right, so you, you went through Bitch Hill, there's a downhill. What did you think of that new hill right before Highway 77? Were you expecting, did you know about that? Were you sort of expecting it? Yeah, I knew about it. I had actually um, gone up to Hayward early earlier in the week, kind of anticipating, um, I had saw that they were going to close the trail on Thursday and Friday, and I really wanted to check out that new part of the trail. So I had actually specifically driven up on Wednesday and um, made sure that I got in an intensity workout on that specific hill to really kind of learn the nuances of it and what it, you know, where it fell and what it was about. Um, I personally, any, any more hills is, is awesome for me. So I thought that was an excellent addition. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was another area that I kind of, you know, tried to test, uh, Dabuti and see kind of where she was at. And again, you know, I, I realized she was, she was getting tired, but she was definitely able to hang with me, um, on that hill and, and hang with me on the downhill. And so I kind of realized that again, you know, we could work together and, and that's where we really were switching off the leads, especially on the downhills, um, to kind of keep the, keep the, the pace high and kind of keep any opportunities for the women behind us, uh, kind of un, unsuccessful. Um, you know, the biggest risk if you're out there in front too now with the women starting first is that you have uh, the potential for the other women to jump onto any of the men coming through if they get caught, and that could be a really good ride, um, kind of bridging them up to us and then having a really good, if they needed it, you know, a good attack um, at the end. So, again, I want to kind of keep the pace going and not, not get too comfortable where we are at and uh, make sure there was none of those opportunities possible. So, uh, yeah, so we got to Highway 77 and climbed that next hill, and uh, that was kind of the first time that I saw Dabuti really starting to falter. And I would say I kind of went by her at one point and saw that she was, she was hurting pretty good. She was holding on strong, but she definitely did not look very comfortable. And so I kind of thought that that was a good sign and I was kind of slowly wearing her out. Um, and so at that point I kind of wanted to keep her around, make sure she worked enough so that she didn't get too much of a rest behind me. Uh, but also kind of make her suffer uh, more and more so that I knew she didn't have anything for the finish. All right. Now, how are your water skis? Exactly. Exactly. So then, then we got to the lake and I mean, I think that was a surprise for everyone. I mean, I, I know it had rained, I, I knew it had rained a lot and <laughs> the water has to go somewhere. And when it usually, you know, kind of goes to the lowest point, it, it fills up into the lake. And when the lake is frozen, well, it just sits on top of the lake. And so, I was, you know, I think as surprised as everyone else when I got there and, uh, we had had a pretty good surface, you know, we go out first and so we get some pretty nice, uh, some pretty nice tracks in the, on the Berkey, which is always awesome. Uh, but the lake, the lake was something else. I mean, they did what they could, but it was kind of a slush fest and at points, uh, kind of above my, definitely above my boots. So, uh, so that was another kind of strategic point where I realized, you know, the lake is always, it's always going to have a headwind. It's always a risky thing to lead across, um, but I found that there was kind of a kind of a big risk um, in falling, just kind of getting tripped up, you know, trying to go too hard, trying to, if you try to respond. And, you know, I was trying to just always figure out where's the best footing. Is it, is it you know, behind the snowmobile? Is it, you know, off to the side on the edge? Is it in the middle? You know, you just kind of... I just right, because you have the snowmobile leading you along the whole the way whole, too, right? The whole race, yeah. The snowmobile actually... Is is quite awesome because you know Yuri, who was the who is the uh, the you know the director of CXC, and I've known for a number of years, is on the back, and he'll sometimes you know smile or he'll say something to me, which is kind of fun during the race. Um, 
but also you kind of have to, you know, they're trying to get their shots. And so you have to kind of dodge, you know, where the snowmobile goes and, you know, what they're doing and kind of, it's just a factor in the race. So again, you kind of either use it or don't use it as a opportunity. So behind the snowmobile wasn't ideal because they were kind of kicking up snow in our faces. So we were sort of trying to figure out this fine, fine line of where to be. Uh, and I would say that, um, you know, I, I would pull over and Dibuti was, Dibuti was suffering so much on that lake that I kind of realized she was, she wasn't able to, you know, it's one of those things that she, is she bluffing or is this for real? And, uh, I think it was for real, but she was kind of hoping that <laughs> I didn't know that. So I led across the lake, which, you know, is not, not the ideal situation, but, uh, I want to also make sure that when we got to the, I didn't know what the surface is going to be like in downtown and it's definitely been very slushy before this year. It was absolutely perfect and firm packed, but I definitely kind of wanted to have a little bit of a leg up. I'd never skied across the international bridge before because that was put in just last year and I was in Falun. And so I uh, wanted to make sure that I actually got to the top of that first so that I didn't miss any jumps and any, uh, yeah, any opportunities and made it to the top, got over the, got over the hump and, just gunned it to the end. And, um, yeah, it was pretty fortunate that I actually felt amazing and I, I don't think she felt as good. <laughs> I like how you you, you just skied the Berkey and like not sub, let's say suboptimal conditions and just made it seem like it was awesome. And you felt great at the same time. <laughs> you're probably I mean, the only person who, yeah, who did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think, I mean, I have to be honest, the Berkey was, it was, a, it's always a fun race for me, you know, despite any of the the chaos or the, you know, the, the stress or the worry about the snow and the, I just, I absolutely love racing it. I think that distance is just perfect for me. Um, and I think I'm kind of in the, the prime age for that, that kind of a race. And I've done it enough to know every, you know, it's, it's one of those benefits that, you know, I go to Europe and I race in all these courses that I don't know that well. And then the world comes to the Berkey and that's a, that's a course I know pretty darn well at this point. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely fun. It's fun to have people come to your backyard, kind of a, kind of a deal. All right, so you mentioned something about Falun, and that was why you weren't at the Berkey last year. Uh, that was kind of a big race for you. Why don't you take us back there, uh, set the stage, but really you've talked about the, that, that 10K race. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Every time I, I go to the Berkey and I've missed a Berkey or, um, or two, uh, you know, and the question always comes up, well, well where were you? And uh, it was pretty fun this year to say, well, I was in Falun, and... I was, I was racing and they said, Oh, well, why would you, why would you, why would you miss the Berkey? And you're like, well, it was, it was the world championships. And I still get the same answer. Well, why would you, why would you miss or the same question? Why would you miss the Berkey? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this it's like, and you have to be like, I was on the podium. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, why would you miss the Berkey? <laughs> exactly. The Midwest thinks a lot of it's, itself. It's true. And then this year I finally said, you know, Oh, well I was on the podium and you know, I, I, I won a medal. I was third and they said, Oh, well, that's not, it's not the same as winning the Berkey. And I, I kind of have to chuckle and also love it, uh, at the same time. Cause it is, it's pretty awesome. Um, so last year I, actually had to make a really tough decision that was whether or not I go to Falun or race the Berkey. Um, it was, again, I was in the U S I was kind of aligned already to what I thought was get ready to race my, um, my next Berkey. And I got the email from the head U S ski team coach that I was, uh, going to be selected to the world championship team. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I basically, didn't know if I was going to get a start in the races. And so I had to make the decision of whether or not I go to Europe and go to Falun and try to, 
see if I could get a start uh, in one of the races and the 10K was my goal or if I had to, um, you know, or if I'd go over to Europe and, and not race at all and whether or not I should just forego that opportunity and not take the risk and stay home and race the Berkey. So I went for it. I had some good people tell me, you know, you can race the Berkey for a long time in your life, but this is an opportunity you can't miss. I'm really glad I took advantage of that opportunity and the U.S. ski team selected me to race in that 10K uh, skate race on February 24th because, yeah, it turned out to be a pretty a pretty awesome historic day. Was that, that, that was like two or three days after the Berkey, I think. Yeah, it was. It was definitely too close to race the Berkey and then fly to Europe and race. So oh, yeah. it was pretty pretty darn close. Brian, my husband, uh, he, he actually raced the Berkey. I remember sitting there. I watched the whole thing on their live stream. Um, people, I think, thought it was crazy because I literally sat there for three hours and, and saw the entire entire race um, in my hotel room in Falun. And uh, he came over literally the next day to help me with my race in Falun, which was awesome. All right, so 10K was sort of what you were aiming for. I think you, you've been sort of training and aiming for that for the season. What what happened? What was what 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 got you onto that podium? What what happened in that race? Because that's obviously a team effort to, that goes into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible because sort of all of these different components have to align at once, and you know, it has to do with your fitness, your excitement, your skis. You know, then it falls into the wax. You know, the wax and and support staff and you know, how they're doing with their testing and how, you know, how things are kind of unfolding. And so it was a little bit of a, if you will, perfect storm. Um, we, you know, I showed up ready, more ready than I've ever been. I mean, I, I was just bouncing off the walls ready. And, um, and that was, I think what was sort of the deciding factor of, you know, whether or not I was going to get a start was it was apparent I was skiing well, feeling good, kind of ready, ready to go. Um, so I, you know, that morning I woke up and, my goal was to be, and this is this is no joke. My goal was to be in the top six. I was watching the medal ceremonies, and they brought up the top six every night and gave them a wooden dollar horse. And I told myself, I'm going for I'm going for a top six. I'm going for this. And uh, I drew bib three, which the night before wasn't really an awesome start because you obviously don't get much information. You have a kind of a fresh track, but it's not a great great for splits um, out there. So nobody really said wow, lucky you. <laughs> but I just went with it. And um, right from the get go, I felt amazing. A couple strides in, I could tell my skis were just extremely fast. And um, do you want to drop a sponsor name on, on what, what skis you're on? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I was I've, I've, I've been on Matsu skis for the last couple of years. And they've been absolutely amazing. All of their, you know, Matsu skis, boots and poles and just can't, yeah, can't say enough about how how great they've been uh, in supporting me. I actually showed up to Falun without any, my skis didn't arrive. And they actually, um, this is before I won the medal. They were just awesome. Hadn't done much that year. They got me all new skis and boot, or skis and poles um, so that I could, you know, if I didn't get my own equipment, I could potentially keep racing. Um, and then when I won the medal, they were, they were pretty, pretty psyched. But I always think they, they're amazing because they helped out even before the medal with no questions asked. Um, anyway, uh, my wax tech was Eli Brown, who is a fellow NMU alumni. So I'll throw that out there too. And uh, go Wildcats! Yeah, go Wildcats! He was, he was just in a great space, super psyched. Um, we tested my skis, and we noticed the snow squalls were coming through the day before, a couple days before even. And we found a pair that we felt was a really low liability ski. It it, it was great in um, 
in both the conditions when it wasn't snowing and then almost even better when it was this sort of fresh snow falling on the kind of on the moist kind of um, already transformed snow of the course. So it was kind of a combination of man-made and natural snow kind of all mixed together and melted and refrozen and melted and refrozen. So it was kind of a very unique condition when those big snowflakes of, of uh, fresh snow started falling on it. And my skis, they were just incredible. So Brian and I had actually talked about it, and uh, we decided to go with it with the potential for there to be a snow squall. And when it started snowing, I was pretty darn psyched. My skis actually got faster. And I think that that was the deciding factor of, I mean, it goes to show how important skis are for sure. Um, you know, as it started snowing, a lot of people had picked um, skis that weren't able to handle that fresh snow. And I was actually, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how it was harder for the athletes in the back of the pack, but I was actually plowing through the fresh snow because it was two 5K loops. And, um, you know, no one had skied on my loop yet, and it had been snowing for a good 15 minutes by the time I had gotten onto that track. And so it was basically unskied in, um, fresh snow. So, uh, yeah, my skis were incredible. I felt incredible. I had no idea how I was doing. I knew it was good. And, uh, yeah, the rest kind of just unfolded before my eyes as skiers that I had known and kind of looked up to and watched at the Olympics win medals and other world championships win medals would come in and were very gracious and like complimented me and, you know, shook my hand and, I looked up at the screen and they were comparing my time to Charlotte Collis and all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me like, whoa. <laughs> now, have you listened to the, uh, to the, the broadcast of it with the commentary? <laughs> yes. My, I have an awesome brother-in-law, Brian's twin brother, Chad, who was awake watching the whole race and he, he went through and took out every sound bite about what the commentators were saying because I think even they were sort of like, Oh my gosh. I mean, this is this is just incredible and they just had some amazing amazing references in there and and sayings and <laughs> it was just yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um and like my favorite is like I have no idea what I'm doing on the podium and it was true. I I just kept waiting for someone to pinch me and say like, "Yeah, major mistake. We're really sorry <laughs> about yeah. this." But, or uh, wake up, Caitlin. Yeah. There's a traffic jam on the <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, um yeah, that that was that was awesome to go back and see that for sure. So you're sitting in that big bizarre chair. Is that like a what's that chair made out of? It's just like I guess I haven't really looked under the chair like to see what it looks like, but it's definitely got all of this fur. It's like fur lined okay. and got a big back, and you just sort of feel like it's soft and cushy, and you just it feels. But it's awesome. outside and it's snowing on it. It seems kind of bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Um, but it was awesome, and I I'm kind of obviously. A rookie when it comes to this stuff and so I didn't want to miss a second in that chair that was another goal was to get in that chair as long as possible and so I had someone run down and snap a picture of me in that chair and I you know they kept saying do you want to change you know your clothes and I said oh no 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 I'm just gonna sit here and make sure I kind of milk this opportunity in the chair and get as many photos or camera time as I can and people kept coming in and nobody was nobody was bumping me out nobody was bumping me out and uh Honestly, I got pretty darn cold in that chair, and uh, I was actually excited for two reasons when Jessie came across the line. One was obviously because, you know, she's my teammate, and she had just beaten me, which I knew I had a good race, so I knew she had a good race, so I kind of ran out and sprinted to go congratulate her, and then two, I knew I finally could, like, go and change my clothes because I kind of missed that opportunity <laughs> beforehand, and uh, I was pretty, yeah, I was shivering pretty pretty good at that point, but uh, it was still totally worth it and awesome. 
So Jesse takes your place in the chair, and then everyone else, the rest of the skiers are coming in, and you're in Sweden, so they're going crazy for Kala. Yeah. Was it like to be in that stadium as the, <laughs> oh. the entire country goes berserk? That, that was awesome. That was incredible. So I got bumped out of the chair, so I went up and finally changed my clothes in the changing room, and actually... You know, talk to some of the talk to some of the Norwegians, and um, you know they were they were very actually they were very gracious and very very nice, and they said, you know, man, we we really missed the wax today. You guys skied incredible. You know, we're so excited for you, and uh, I thought that was really cool. And I still didn't know where I was going to finish. Um, that top six was looking pretty good. It, the top six the, was looking pretty horse. pretty good. I was pretty excited for that dollar horse, but you know, you still I still didn't know and. Um, I came out of the changing room to kind of go see what was happening with, you know, and find Brian and, and, and kind of look at the, look at where things were, were unfolding. And someone just yelled, it's going to stand. And I kind of was like, what, you know, what's going to stand? And they said, the Americans are on the podium. And I was like, the, you know, and I was like, who else is left in the American? American plural, what? Yeah, I was like, Amer- yeah, I was like, well, Jesse. And then I was like, no way, no way. And I remember the most awesome, awesome moment was when somebody finally, I saw Brian and somebody turned to Brian and he was like kind of across this fence or barrier or whatever in this crowd. And they said, uh, you know, kind of to him, like she just won a medal. And Brian was like, excuse me. Like he kind of didn't, it all kind of unfolded so fast. He had, you know, didn't really know what was happening. And he was like, no way. And they were like, yeah, it's, it's going to stand like, the, you know, Mary Bjorgen's coming in and she's already way off the mark and not even trying or, you know, just kind of skiing it in and like, yeah, like Caitlin won a medal and Brian's jaw just dropped like to the floor and he just let out the best like victory scream I've ever seen. Even though we didn't win, he was just so excited that he had made the trip over there and it was totally worth it. And yeah, so that was that was a pretty sweet moment for me because I was in shock, but I think Brian was even more in shock. All right, so um, you know it's May. It's that time when you start thinking about ski training again, or maybe you started earlier, and I, I start thinking about how I really don't want to roller ski until July. Um, but what what are, what's your training looking like for this year? You know, are, do you have anything? Are, do you have anything fun that you're doing, especially this time of year, rather than like you know this. The, the, the specific workout every day. And then what are you doing? I know you do a lot of work in the Twin Cities. Uh, what are you doing around there? So um, this year I've, I've kind of decided that after last season we spent a lot of time traveling and uh, we kind of chased some opportunities at altitude and, and that was a great experience. Um, we were out in Park City for a lot of the summer. Um, and this year I've kind of decided to kind of go back and uh, keep things simple. So I'm actually spending the majority of my off-season in the Twin Cities um, training from home, sleeping in my own bed, working with my strength coach consistently, um, and actually training quite a bit, both coaching and also kind of getting out for a workout with the, uh, with the Loppet Nordic Racing Juniors. And so the Loppet, or LNR, is my home club, and so it's, you know, it's awesome to get out with those guys and kind of inspire the next generation. Um, and then, ironically, most of our camps this year, my camps when I am traveling, are going to be up in Hayward. So I'll be back in Birkenland, uh, spending a lot of my uh, training hours. We have uh, pretty big, pretty big training hours for the year coming up here. We're going to try to hit 900 training hours for the season, and uh, it's kind of a, a big, lofty goal. But looking more at doing some uh, an increase in our volume training, and after last year, a significant decrease in my intensity training. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of our our plan going forward. Um, 
as far as, uh, so it's nothing magical there. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Keeping it that way is what I want. Um, but then in addition to that, like you asked about um, what we're doing while we're here in the Twin Cities and starting to kind of ramp up our own training, uh, Brian and myself, we spend a significant amount of time this uh, spring and, and into the beginning of summer working at the Boys and Girls Club in North Minneapolis. Um, it's called the Jerry Gamble's Boys and Girls Club. And uh, we spend um, three days a week up there working with the kids and started a running club three days a week. And uh, we, at this point, have almost 100 kids and they've run almost a thousand miles and we still have a long ways to go in terms of how long the run club runs for. So we're hoping to hit 2000 miles for the club. And, uh, tomorrow we actually will be spending the night with 10 of our top runners and, um, bringing them to a running race Saturday morning. So that's something that's pretty close to me. And it's a, it's a big passion. I think it's awesome that these kids get this opportunity to work on their health and work on, um, their fitness, but also just, it's pretty cool and inspiring to see how excited they are just to get the opportunity to participate in, in something like this. And it's as simple as a pair of running shoes. Um, I love skiing obviously, but it does have its limitations financially for some people. And, uh, these kids, these kids are, are way into running and, uh, we, yeah, we really, we really enjoy kind of giving back in that capacity. And you ran in college. So you're not a stranger to running. Exactly. Exactly. I, was very fortunate and ran through high school and, and actually got a got a full ride scholarship to college, um, both because of running and skiing, but running was, I was maybe a better runner in college than skier for a little while. And so I definitely see running as a, as a great kind of, um, yeah, as a, as a great way to sort of have something that these kids can, can kind of look towards as opening up uh, opportunities down the road, you know, and, and for sure, I know there's, especially for young, young girls, a lot of opportunities to run in college. And so that would be, that would be an ideal scenario. We'll kind of see how it, how it unfolds, but yeah, something that I'm not, I'm not ignoring as, as kind of on my radar for, for where I want these kids in this program to go. And is this through Lopet Nordic Racing or is this separate from that? This is actually through an organization that Brian and I have worked with for the last eight years. So we've been doing this work, um, yeah, basically throughout our entire um, elite professional ski careers. Uh, it's through In the Arena, and it's a national organization, nonprofit organization. And um, the athletes on the roster are from all different sports and all across the country. And you have to be a collegiate graduate and uh, sends in your um, athletic resume, your academic resume, and also your community service proposal. And you're, if you're selected, um, yeah, it's a it's a great organization to be a part of. And you need to do some more self promotion here. How how should, how can we find out more about this organization? <laughs> so you can um, you can find out more about this organization at their website, which is in the arena dot um, org, and it's i n dash t h e dash a r e n a dot org. Or you can go to um, what we have now as our website is xc ski life. So it's like cross country X C then ski life.com. And then you can also find more information on at go team Greg.com. Awesome. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's that, that. There you go. You gotta, you gotta work, work through that so we can, you know, make sure to get all the information out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, it's really, it must be really fulfilling work to, to be able to do that, um, sort of in your spare time and have time for training and then go off and, and, and ski in all these races in the winter. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing I one thing I've noticed is uh, it takes a certain amount of endurance actually to 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 do these to do these uh, these uh, <laughs> these run club events with the kids. We've uh, we've noticed that it's actually maybe something we can we learn a lot from as to how much we actually are able to do in a day <laughs> when we're training and coaching and working with these at risk kids. We're like, wow, we've got we've got a pretty good pretty good endurance here, which is maybe why those marathon races actually are, are pretty perfect for us. <laughs> yeah, wear, wear a heart rate monitor and see how, see yeah. how many hours you get in chasing the kids around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, I've, I've held you way too long. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, good luck with all of your training this summer. Hopefully, we'll catch up with you in the fall or the winter, whether it's before, uh, before a race in Finland or before a race in Wisconsin. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally connected and... Uh, all the best to you and Brian and everyone out in the Twin Cities. Thanks so much, Ari. It's awesome. I'm so glad we got to connect. All right. Great. Caitlin, that was great. And you are welcome back on the Berkey Guy podcast at any time ever for all eternity. As always, our podcast was produced by Sam Evans-Brown of New Hampshire Public Radio who also hosts the Outside In podcasts about the natural world and how we use it, which I highly recommend for Berkey skiers. If you're in New Hampshire, it is now a weekly radio show that you can catch on air, or you can live stream it, or I'm sure you can download it as well. So you can find it on the air uh, on New Hampshire Public Radio, or you can find it on iTunes or Spotify or at outsideinradio.org. You should totally check it out. Our intro music was by Dr. Turtle from the Free Music Archive. Thank you guys so much for listening, and hopefully we'll have some more fun podcasts this summer to keep you excited about snow and the Berkey.